Good morning and happy Easter. We have two scriptures for you this morning. We have Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 55. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the man said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others who with them told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. In 1 Corinthians, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with its immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thank you, Laura. Hey, uh, faith family and friends, uh, newcomers, in person, online. You know, I love that ancient greeting. Uh, Alan did it for us a little bit ago, but let's try it again, all right? He is risen. You know, Trisha and I, on Friday, we met a young woman. We talked through a bit, and, and when she learned that I am a pastor and that this is Easter weekend, she says, wow, this is like the Super Bowl for pastors. <laughs> well, it is the only Sunday where I wear a tie. So, <laughs> Anyway, you know, lately in the sports world, uh, you hear a lot of hype and talk about uh, the GOAT, Right? G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, whatever their sport is. Here's another question. What is the greatest day of all time? You know, a lot of candidates. Maybe it was the day in 1297 when a Chinese man by the name of Wong Chen used wooden type blocks to publish the first mass-produced book. Or maybe it was November 28, 1893, when women in New Zealand were the first to be allowed to vote in a national election. Or maybe it was June 6, 1944, when American, British, and Canadian forces landed on the beaches of Normandy and turned the tide of World War II. 
Maybe it was June 20th, 1969, when the first humans walked on the moon. But I would put none of these at the top of the list. This morning I announced to you that the greatest day of all days happened nearly 2,000 years ago. We're not sure the exact date, but some have made a compelling case that April 5th, 33 A.D. may be the day when Jesus rose from the dead. Wouldn't it be something to think about today? April 5th. Some of you probably have your birthday that day. April 5th, 33 A.D. If Jesus was who he said he was, and if he did indeed rise from the dead, as many of us believe he did, then this day would stand as the day of all days, the greatest of all time. I I heard someone once say, if Jesus rose from the dead, good for him. What's that got to do with me? Good question. Uh, Jesus' resurrection only matters if it matters for all of us. Was the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, made up by his disciples? Another good question. Here's what we know. No one expected Jesus to rise again. Uh, Bible scholar and historian N.T. Wright says there were about a dozen would-be Jesus, or Jewish messiahs during the hundred years before Jesus and the hundred years after. And when each of them died, one of two things happened. Either that movement fizzled away or someone else in the movement stepped up to assume the mantle of Messiah. In none of them did their followers say, we have a strong sense of our leader's presence even though he's dead. Let's call this resurrection. Why? Because they didn't think that way. They, they knew what resurrection meant. Because most Jews looked forward to the great day of resurrection when, when for all people at the end of the age, resurrection they knew means a body was dead and is now gloriously and forever alive. No Jew even considered the possibility that one person might rise from the dead in the middle of the age, before the end of the age. Didn't even, didn't occur to them. And when Jesus, when he foretold his his, his death and his rising, even his closest followers didn't get it. They figured it must have been some kind of parable Jesus was telling about the end times. And so they were totally surprised by Jesus' resurrection. That's, that's why it's, it's, I think it's implausible that they would have made it up. They weren't even thinking in those categories. It's more likely that Jesus did surprise them and rise from the dead. Plus, I think it's the only adequate way to uh, explain the explosive expansion of Jesus' movement after his death. He came back to life. One of the movies um, depicting Jesus' resurrection, uh, of all of them that I've seen, the one that Tricia and I like best is called Risen. Have some of you seen it? Uh, it, you know, we've been, it came out in, in 2016, and we've been watching it every Easter season since. We watched it again yesterday. Uh, it portrays the resurrection from the viewpoint of a Roman tribune, uh, kind of the head army officer stationed there in Jerusalem, played by Joseph Fiennes. 
Now, the movie's rated PG-13 because there's some violent stuff in there. So, you know, your kids may not be ready for that. Uh, but I do want to say, if you do want to watch it, it's on the Roku channel for free, and you can get it through other streaming services for a small, small bit. Jesus' resurrection is the greatest of all time. And here's the story. A week earlier, he enters Jerusalem, hailed as the Messiah, you know, while cheering crowds are waving victory palm branches. People in power, though, view him as a threat and plot to dispose of him. Fortunately for them, one of Jesus' close associates approaches them, and they agree on a price and look for an opportunity. Jesus, he knows this is coming. He knows this is the reason he was born on this earth. He, actually, he volunteered for the job to suffer, to bear the sins of the world, and to carry those sins, our sins, across the threshold of death. No one else could have done it. No one else was righteous enough to carry them. No one else had the strength to carry them through death. God's enemy, the adversary, the accuser, sees that this is his chance to finish the job he started when he introduced sin and death into the human story. He, would, he had different strategies. He, he would get Jesus to back down and not go through with it, not go to the cross. Or he would get Jesus to break and curse his crucifiers. Or he would get Jesus to bend and, and use his divine power to escape suffering. Or he would get Jesus to die as a sniveling coward, a broken victim to the powers of evil. If he could get Jesus to fall into any of these traps, then sin would rule and death would reign forever and ever. So the stakes are high. It's the ultimate match of life versus death. I received an email this week from somebody I don't know asking about our Easter image of boxing gloves on the cross. Well, I admit it was kind of intended to be a little provocative. But I assured him that, that we were not literally portraying Jesus as a fighter or a boxer, we, but we do believe that he was in a battle. In this corner, we have the undefeated and undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, death. And in this corner, we have the challenger, life. The bell rings and death is in fine form, doing its brutal best. After testing his opponent with a few jabs, death goes in for the kill, pounding life with blow after punishing blow. A mob of death's devoted fans shout foul insults at life. Death has a gruesome end planned for his opponent, a perfect blend of pain and humiliation. The arms of life are stretched out on a crossbeam. Spikes are hammered through his wrists into the wood. His feet are laid one over the other with a third crushing spike. They are nailed to the vertical beam. Life cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those words are sweet to death's ears. And by mid-afternoon, life says it is finished and takes his final breath. Death, 
dances and prances like an invincible champion, a conqueror, claiming the title greatest of all time. What death did not know is that this was life's plan all along. Life did not back down. He did not break or bend. He did not die as a victim. He laid down his life as a self-sacrificing hero, absorbing our sins into himself. And on the third day, he broke down death's door, scaring death half to death. And from that day on, my friends, life has begun to reign. Jesus is now this world's rightful ruler. And for the last perhaps 1,989 years, the good news of his righteous reign has been spreading across the earth to all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. By laying down his life, Jesus showed us the heart of God. God sent his son so that all who believe in him may not perish but have eternal life. And this eternal life, I want you to know because sometimes it's unclear, but the Bible says that, that, this, that this eternal life will not just be in heaven, it will be heaven on earth, okay? All of creation will be resurrected and restored to its original glory and we will be given new resurrection bodies. That is our future, our hope. Even now, Jesus' reign of life has begun, and he has put the tyrants on the of the world on notice that their reign of death cannot and will not stand. We've, been all, we've all been watching the interviews of Ukrainians telling us their stories. We've never seen a war from this point of view, have we? live interviews of people and what they're going through. Have you noticed how many of them put their trust in God? I have. So many. I heard one woman say of Vladimir Putin, God will judge him. And so, in that sense, you could say that Easter is political. It says to the tyrants like Vladimir Putin, your rule of death and destruction cannot be sustained. Your days are numbered because the one who brings life has begun to reign and he will bring his kingdom to completion. Death has been dethroned because you can no longer, you can no longer control those who no longer fear death. You see, Jesus' resurrection was the promise of our resurrection. And on that day when we are raised, the prophecy will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Will you say it with me? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Tyrants of the world, judgment is coming. Haters of the world, unless you repent, your end is at hand. Those who have no compassion for the suffering of others, your hardened hearts will condemn you. Soften your hearts today. And for all of us sinners of the world, there is hope. 
Forgiveness is within reach. Choose life. Choose life. Believe. And for those of us who do believe, we're going to keep on believing and we're going to keep on singing, and we're going to keep on celebrating, and we're going to keep on sharing the story of the world's greatest comeback. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just when it seems that death had won forever, you emerged victorious from the tomb. On the cross, you earned our forgiveness in a way that only you could do. By your resurrection of life, your reign of love has begun. And we look forward to the day when we will be raised with you. And on that day, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. On that day, all things in heaven and on earth will be made new. Lord, I believe that in this room there are some today who find themselves wanting to believe. They feel an urge to believe that you have begun to reign and they want to belong to you. So, Lord, I ask that you'll let the the door of faith fling open wide. Let them enter the kingdom of forgiveness, the kingdom of love that will never fail. Let them enter the kingdom of life. Oh, Lord Jesus, hear the cry of our hearts. And now I want to end this time of prayer with four questions, and I would invite you to respond aloud. Do you open your heart to God's love, to that love that will never never fail you? If so, say, I do. Do you confess that you are a lost sinner in need of grace? And do you desire complete forgiveness for all your sins? Say, I do. Do you say goodbye to the destructive path of sin and its reign of death in your life? Say, I do. And finally, do you offer your whole self to Jesus and surrender all things to his reign of life, say, I do. And all God's people said, amen.